Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 11. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you're an author needing to polish your book before you launch it, or you need coaching help to launch your staggering work of genius, check out the services at booklaunchmentor.com. I've been working on this site for a couple months now, and hopefully we'll be launching my courses soon. So if you are about ready to launch a book, it'd be a great place to check out. So booklaunchmentor.com. Today, I am welcoming Jen and Bailey to the Restory Show, and they have a difficult but beautiful story that I won't give too much away, but I just know that you will be surprised and quickened by Jen and Bailey's story. So this is a mom and a daughter. Jen is the mom and Bailey is the daughter, and I hope it blesses you. Hey everyone, this is Mary DeMuth and you are with me on the Restory Show. I'm really excited to have these two guests who I have not met face-to-face before. So we are now meeting face-to-face for the first time, but over Skype. And so I have Jen and Bailey and Jen emailed me a long time ago and told me this very difficult story and then recently re-emailed me and kind of gave me the scoop on what happened in the aftermath and how their family has healed. And so to not give away the story, I'm just going to introduce Jen and Bailey and thank you for coming to the program. Glad to be here. Yep. I'm so excited. And we're just, we're thankful for your ministry, Mary. You've been a big part of our story. So we're excited to be here. Thanks. I just believe that this story is really going to be a huge blessing to people. So even though I know it's really difficult for you to share it, I know that other people that have been in a similar situation are going to be so grateful for this because not a lot of survivors share their story so quickly. And I'm just really excited about you know, just to hear what God's done. So let's, uh, let's go back in time to where, uh, Jen, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you growing up, how you were raised, meeting your husband, starting a family, just like basic. Okay. Um, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home with godly parents who really, their heart was to raise godly children and to raise us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we were in a wonderful church, had just a had problems as every family does, but I had one sibling who was 10 years younger than I was. And I felt like I had prayed him into existence. I had wanted a sibling for so long. And so when he arrived, I just instantly kind of became second mom and we were super close just all our lives. And, um, I met my husband. We actually both uh, were working in child protective services and I actually met him in juvenile court And we got married. And again, my brother was, you know, we were kind of the three musketeers, uh, my husband and and my brother and I. And um, my brother, by that time, had by the time we had children, had graduated from college, had um, gone on to get a master's, was just seemed to be 
you know, totally wonderful, godly guy that was a leader in the church, leader in the community, mm-hmm. taught Bible study fellowship, um, had a great job. And so then we had four children and he was, you know, great uncle to them and, and they loved him and he loved them. And we just, we had our, we had our difficulties. Our fourth child was um, 10 weeks premature and she was in the mm-hmm. for six weeks and we weren't real sure we were going to get to bring her home for a little while, but she came out of NICU and just came home and started thriving and God just worked miracles there. And then right after that, my dad uh, passed away and that was a really hard thing because I was super close to him. And so I went through a period of about a year and a half of really deep grieving. And at the end of June of 2006, I said to a friend, I really feel like we're getting back to a new normal now. We are, you know, we're really we've kind of pulled out of this grieving and we're kind of getting back to, to regular life. And I'm just excited about what God's going to do from here. And um, that was the end of June of 2006. And just a few days later, the world exploded. That's a good background. And I think that'll help listeners understand kind of the depth of all of this. Uh, Recently, I was talking to a man who uh, his father was a molester of hundreds of kids and the wife had no idea, which was his mom, and he was a pastor. And for years, he got away with it because everyone didn't believe that he would do that, even though he was doing it. Yeah, he was hiding in the church. So Bailey, tell us a little bit about your growing up and then how this everything exploded. Well, because of the PTSD, I don't remember a lot of before. And I was so young, that I don't remember a lot uh, before just because I kind of suppressed a lot of that, a lot of those memories. But from what I remember, I just remember him being very loving and caring and affectionate and having a really, I remember a few little bits and pieces of what mom said about my little sister being premature. And I remember a few things about my grandfather dying. And But basically our life was, I mean, not that any life is perfect, but from, you know, as perfect as it could be, it was, I mean, it was pretty, it was beautiful and it was, it was just flawless. And, you know, the things that happened, we handled it and we moved on and we adapted and embraced it. And then, so I had a really good relationship with my uncle and um, we, we had so much fun together. And I remember him being very, um, you know, just energetic and, fun and he was just very involved in the church and I remember um just him just being like this perfect uncle if you could imagine any uncle if you can if you could dream up any uncle it would be him like I just it I would want that you know I if if nothing had happened I would be dreaming that that would be for my own children and then basically we just kind of it kind of just exploded. Like mom said, it like it all just came crashing down. And basically, do you want me to go ahead and just explain that night? Yeah, you don't have to do it in detail, but just what happened and, and how long did it take for you to tell your parents or did you tell them right away? So to kind of explain that night, we had a game night at his house, his um, townhouse. And um, a lot of his buddies came over and we 
had done this several times and it was just kind of a normal thing for us. And so our whole family went over to his um, townhouse and we just played games and watched movies. And um, then usually what would happen was afterward, we would one of uh, the three oldest of us would um, get to spend the night at his house afterward. And that was just always a really special time. And it was a time, you know, there was four of us. And so, you know, mom and dad would have to, you know, juggle all four of us. And so sometimes, you know, it would just be really fun to be able to just have one-on-one time and just be able to just make it all about us. And um, so we did our normal thing and we just hung out. And then he sent me off to bed And then it was a little while after that and I couldn't get to sleep and I was just struggling and I didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to go back downstairs and watch movies. And so I went downstairs and I told him that um, I couldn't get to sleep and I asked him when he was going to come up and he, you know, kind of consoled me and told me that he would be up in a little bit and to just go back and uh, go back upstairs and try to go to sleep. And um, so I did. And I tried really hard and then a while later he started coming up the stairs and I saw his um, shadow coming up the stairs and I got really scared because I knew that I needed to be asleep and he told me to be asleep and I wasn't asleep and I was afraid I was going to get in trouble and so I just closed my eyes and quickly just pretended like I was asleep and I apparently did a really good job and uh, so he he came up and then. I think he went and maybe brushed his teeth and checked his computer. And then um, just a few minutes after he came up, well, he um, molested me. And then after that, it's kind of a blur. I remember like that part. And then it just kind of, I don't remember anything else for a while. What, What about the next morning? Oh, yeah. I remember... I went, we went downstairs, we had gotten ready for church because it was a Sunday and we had gotten ready for church, I think. And then we were downstairs and I sat in his lap on the couch and I had asked him what he did last night. And I knew, I knew what he had done. And I just, just was wondering if he would lie to me. I remember thinking that I remember thinking, you know, just trying to get the truth out of him. And then he, he lied and he told me that he had just watched some movies and then he just went to bed and I knew that he had lied and I had no idea what, what happened was called. I didn't know what it was called or I didn't really understand any of it. Um, but I knew something bad happened. I knew it was wrong and it just, I knew that it was that he had done something wrong. And then when he lied, I knew it. And then that's, that's the extent of my memory of it. How old were you at the time? Um, I was six. I was just about to turn seven. Oh my goodness. And so did you, Jen, did you notice anything really different about her that day or how long did it take for her to tell you what happened? He brought her home that morning and I noticed first, well, she was acting a little a little bit odd, just like she was tired and grumpy, you know. And but I noticed first that he was acting odd because he was kind of over explaining, you know, her mood. And I thought at the time, well, that's just weird, you know, but I didn't think I mean, you know, you just don't think that much about it. And so I went in and started talking to her and I just could tell something was off, like, you know, but I 
I didn't know what it was and we needed to get ready for church. So we, we got ready for church and the whole time I just kept, you know, kind of praying, okay, Lord, whatever's going on, you know, just, we'll see. And I didn't, it didn't think it was anything bad, bad. I just thought what I really thought was she had, she had a habit of sucking her middle three fingers instead of her thumb when she was little. And because of all the stress with the little one being in NICU and my dad passing away and all that, she was still dealing with that at bedtime and we were working on it. And he, but he would get kind of, um, kind of overstep things with trying to stop that, you know, he, he would get. And so I really thought that he had probably just gotten on her hard about sucking her fingers at bedtime. And so, but as I began to talk to her through the day and just kind of, kind of watch her, it just seemed like it was getting worse and worse. Her, her behavior and her, her, she was just sad. And, and I've mentioned before that Billy and I met, working for Child Protective Services. I was a foster care caseworker and supervisor, and we had both been trained, you know, to interview children without leading questions and that kind of thing. And at the time, that was not the job I had wanted when I got out of college. It was nowhere near what I wanted, but it was what I could get and make money. And I remember the whole time I worked there just saying, you know, God, why am I here? This job is overwhelming. Why am I in this awful job? And, you know, I loved the children, but it was just there was so little we could do and it was just so hard. But I um, I realized after all this that that was why God had me there partly because it was second nature to me just not to ask, you know, leading questions or put thoughts in her. And at that point, I didn't, like I say, I didn't have any idea of how bad it was, but it just, that was my nature in, in talking to her about things so that when she finally did late that evening come out with what had happened, it was very obvious that it was totally true because there was no way she could have made it up. There was no, and, and I really, and truly, you know, we just, we had no idea that that was even, that there was any possibility. Billy and I are so, so protective from having the jobs we had had. And we had always felt like this was the one thing that could never happen to our children. This was the one thing we could protect our children from because we didn't do daycare. We didn't do babysitters. We didn't, you know, our kids, there was this very tight circle of people that we ever left our children with. And, and so that was just one thing that, that couldn't happen to us. And then all of a sudden, you know, our six-year-old daughter is, is telling me, and again, like she says, not even totally understanding. I mean, she knew it was awful. She knew it was, she was, she was scared and she was angry and all these things that she didn't even grasp what, what it meant. And, and so that was the day that we found out. So then when did the police get involved? Well, that was actually kind of an odd thing. We were at that point, obviously we were just reeling because we were suddenly realizing that this person that we had trusted so much, and it's just like you were saying about the pastor, uh, the person that you had talked to, no one would ever have, you know, we were just very concerned about his ability, obviously, to live a, a double life and to to pull the wool over people's eyes for one of a better expression. And so we just started praying at that point, God, we're not going to take one step until you make it clear, because we just knew if we took one misstep that our family's life could be ruined and our kids could mm-hmm. be in danger. And so we just prayed, God, just make 
every step crystal clear. We're not going to move until we have guidance from you. And so at every step he did that. And what actually ended up happening was before, before we contacted the authorities, we discovered that he was being investigated by the FBI for child pornography charges. And so that investigation, they were wrapping up and about to sentence him in that. And so that all happened. And we, at that point, we were like, okay, Lord, well, is this, you know, he's going to jail. Is this your protection for us not having to put her through, you know, an investigation and what, you know, what, what do we do here and how do we, and we just kept praying, God, you know, show us exactly what you want us to do. and. What ended up happening was a friend of ours, we had only told a couple of people at that point our situation. And one of those friends was at lunch with someone after my brother was sentenced on the federal charges. He was at lunch with a group of people and he made a comment in a conversation. They were talking about, you know, people getting away with things or people not being not believing that people could commit certain crimes and whatever. And he just made a comment that had no identifying information in it whatsoever, but it was just, you know, yeah, I know this person who's just been sentenced on federal charges and he's done something else and, and they don't even, you know, know about it. And somehow one of the people who overheard that conversation was married to someone in who, who was in a position of authority and they ended up calling him and saying, are you talking about this person? Whoa. <laughs> wow. And so his wife called me and she was like, I, I don't, I, you know, he didn't mention any, you know, I mean, she was just, you know, distraught that, you know, that it, I, it just was so God that, you know, he took that decision out of our hands and it, it turned out later that that, that was just a miraculous thing for a lot of reasons that he took that decision out of our hands. They came to us and they started the investigation. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, it's all God's timing because by that point he was in the federal system and had been sentenced. And so he had the choice as to whether to come back then and be prosecuted on these charges or whether to wait until his federal sentence was over and um, which would be, you know, almost a decade later. And um, he chose to wait. And so that's why we didn't end up with prosecution happening in our case until last year. But again, it was God's perfect timing because the the prosecutor mentioned that our case was so much stronger because she was older and a stronger witness than she would have been. And, and it was definitely better emotionally for her because um, God had just done so much healing already that even though it was so hard, he had just, he spent those years preparing her and preparing us. And so it was just all very much God's timing, even though it was a long wait. <laughs> yes. It's a, a decade is a long time. I've read a little bit of what you've written, Bailey, and how God's been taking you on this healing journey. Can you give me a highlight of some of the things that God's done to heal you of this tremendous violation of trust? And, you know, I know you're struggling with PTSD as a result, which is very common <laughs> and something like that. I guess mentally, I, the healing, I think his come fast in some areas and really slowly in others. And I think like for me in the beginning of this, 
um, I put this in my blog and I, at the beginning of it, I didn't know, like I said before, I didn't really know what happened. I didn't really know how to express my emotion and I didn't really know what emotion to have. And so I struggled with, you know, hating him and loving him. And that was kind of, I think, part of like, that was kind of where the healing started, I think, in a way, because in that I kind of started understanding my emotions. I kind of, that's kind of where it started. And then I, like I said, I don't really remember a lot of the early years of it, but then I I remember that through this, the Lord kind of brought me to this desperate place where I just had nowhere else to run, but to him. And he just brought me to himself. And he, he just, when I was seven years old, um, he just, he interrupted my life and he saved me. And, um, so that kind of was where the healing really, really started because that's when I, I, you know, I had Jesus in my heart and I, he gave me the power to heal. And then, and then as the years went on, I kind of, um, I don't really remember a lot of it, but I remember, you know, he just kind of, brought me out of the ashes into this beautiful, he just kind of, he created this beautiful unfolding. And then I guess last year was kind of um, when he really, really just broke my heart all over again. And that, I think every time he breaks my heart, he heals it a little bit. And last year, my heart just kept breaking and breaking and breaking. And it just, it seemed like my heart would just never stop breaking. And it was just, it, it was almost, it was like the puzzle had kind of, I kind of had this analogy in my head last year, how he had over the years kind of, you know, when it happened, it was like this beautifully put together puzzle was just thrown off the table and broken. And then over the years, he's kind of put it back together just in a more beautiful way. And then every time, every little step of the way, he, you know, every time he would break my heart, he would take out a puzzle piece and then he would put a more beautiful puzzle piece in it. And that was my healing. And then, so, and then I just, that's kind of how I can describe it best. I think I don't really remember a lot of it, um, but that's kind of the overall healing, I guess. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And that dismantling sexual abuse is, is a dismantling of you. I mean, it f- basically like throws you apart and pulls you into all sorts of different pieces. And and I can attest that God definitely does that restore. You know, he does restore us. And I'm so grateful for that. And, and it's really heartening to see you, you know, in, in your teens just kind of coming to grips with this journey. And I love what you had to say about sometimes it's really fast and sometimes it's excruciatingly slow. That's very, very normal. And there are parts of me still that I'm like, why is this not healed yet? And yet there are other parts of me that are totally fine. So it just, it does, it takes a lifetime. And I think for you to having that willingness to let God in, we can, I think our healing gets better when we let him in. It's harder when we stiff arm him and it's totally understandable when we do stiff arm him so that I commend you for that. Uh, Jen, how has your, how has your healing journey been as a mom and your, you and your husband as a family that's gone through this? Like both of y'all said it, you know, it goes fast, it goes slow. Some, you know, one day you think 
I'm doing really well. I, you know, this is God's just, you know, he's done this work and we're doing great. And the next day you think, oh, my goodness, I'm back to square one. Not, you know, not all the way, but almost back to square one. I think we've all healed differently and, and at different paces. You know, for my husband, of course, the hard thing has been, you know, this is daddy and this is his child. And, you know, and he's Italian. And so, you know, what he really wanted to do was just go take care of it himself. And, <laughs> yes. you know, he couldn't do that. And, but, you know, <laughs> but there was this, you know, just very normal desire. And so, you know, there's been a lot of healing there. God's done a lot of work there and God's still working. And with me, I really I had to go back to, you know, everything I ever believed. Is this really true? You know, we had been through some real trials and I really thought my faith had been tested. And I really thought, you know, OK, you know, we've been tested and we're strong. And then this happened and it just shook everything. And I wrestled a lot. I wrestled with just basics like God's goodness. You know, is God really good? How does God look down and see this happening to my child? You know, God's sovereignty made me angry for, for a while. It, it was a struggle. But he gave me safe places and safe people to wrestle through those things. And and Stephen Curtis Chapman said years ago after the death of his daughter, Maria, he said, I know a whole lot less about God, but what I know, I know a whole lot more for sure. And that was just, that's just so much my heart that I realized how big God is, so much bigger than I ever could have imagined. And that his, his plans and his ways are just way bigger. And yet the things that I do know, I, I'm, I'm sure than I ever was that he's good. I'm sure than I ever was that he's sovereign. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves my kids even more than Billy and I do. And so that's just, you know, he's he's just brought us through just that that wrestling and being there and being faithful to to let us wrestle through and see that that there is hope and that there you know, he, he promises that for those who love him, all things work together for good. And and we've seen that just little by little in so many ways in this, that he has just, we, we prayed that first, the night that I told Billy, I didn't tell him the first night I found out because he had to work the next day and the next day was a holiday. And so I waited till the next night. And the night I told him, we just stopped in the dark living room floor late at night and just prayed, God, it just seems like the world is over. But somehow just get glory from this for yourself and just work this. You've promised you're going to work it for. And he, as we've seen him, he's answered that. So in the intervening 10 years, did you have any contact with your brother? Was that the end of that relationship? I did for a while. He was housed here for a while in the county jail before he went to federal prison. And at that time, I did still have contact with him. But after, there was a lot of things happened at that point. There were just issues with a lot of things that that once he went to federal prison, I didn't have any more contact until he came back here and he wrote me a letter during the prosecution process. But there we just kind of had to, to break off contact because of the prosecution and just because of issues of manipulation and that kind of. Yep. And so now that now that we're on the other side of that, you know, this I'm finally starting to kind of begin to look to the Lord for. OK, so what do I do about that now? You know, that's kind of something that I still don't know what God's going to have from there, but yeah. 
So what happened that he, now that he had a new trial, I think he, I think you mentioned he plea bargained it or how did that, how did that work and how did that work out to your satisfaction? Last October, he finished his sentence, his federal sentence, and they brought him back to the county jail here because they had warrants on our charges. And then they began working with us on the prosecution process, and they talked about the possibility of a trial. And, of course, we, you know, had lots of mixed feelings about that. And we really didn't know until the last minute. Um, we, When we started, we were poles apart. The prosecution and the defense were just so far apart on that it didn't seem like any agreement would be possible. But God just intervened and uh, at the, we went to a court hearing where we really didn't expect anything to happen. It was kind of the last opportunity for a plea bargain before we would actually get a trial. And, um, and we were sitting there thinking we're going to leave here and we're going to be coming back in a few weeks for the trial. And at the last minute, we went in to talk to the prosecutor and we started talking numbers and he went back to the defense and they agreed to what was our bottom, you know, our, our, bare bones, you know, what we would agree to before we would go to trial because we were, Bailey was ready to go to trial if she had to. She was ready to testify. We were ready to do that. We didn't want to do that. We sure didn't want her to have to do that. But she was ready. You know, if that was what it took in order to have people safe, you know, and have us safe and have other potential victims safe, you know, we were prepared to do that. But God mercifully spared all of us that. And he, um, is now in for another, his, his sentence was actually 25 years. He'll have the possibility of parole in uh, about 17 will be his first possibility for parole. But that was considering the way things can go when it goes to a jury trial. And especially considering the fact that he is so charming and charismatic yeah, um, that was we we felt like that was just a definite victory, and that God just very definitely gave us that. That's amazing, <laughs> and it's as I'm doing a lot of research right now about perpetrators, and there's so the statistics are not good about rehabilitation, and so really the safest place for them to be is to be away from children. There's to be locked away because there's no other. It's pretty, it, it's pretty rare. It's almost completely rare if someone rehabilitates. And oftentimes from, even from jail and from prison, they will manipulate and try to make people feel sorry for them. And, you know, all these things that happen from jail, which I'm sure you've probably experienced as well. Very much. Um, and that was, you know, that was our, our biggest concern was it was not, I mean, it was obviously, best for us and best for, you know, anybody that he would be around, but it's also best for him at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's protection for him because like you say, rehabilitation is just, God can do it. I know God can do it, but you Mm -hmm. can't ever trust that person ever again. And so we're very thankful that God just worked there. So my last couple questions are ones for Bailey. What kind of advice would you give to someone that's walked through something similar as you? Don't hide from it. I think it's really easy to just 
kind of shove it down and pretend like it didn't happen and um, try to just go on with life as if um, everything's just normal. But when you look at it from like where I am now, when I look at it, I realize that after something like this happens, normal doesn't really exist. And it's it's one of those things where you just kind of you have to trust that if you don't hide from it, something beautiful is going to come out of it, even though it seems impossible. And so that's what I would I would tell anyone to do is just to to acknowledge that it happened and to strive to move forward and to rely on the Lord, because the freedom that you're looking for, you can't find anywhere other than Jesus. And there is no freedom apart from God. And in something like this, especially there, you can't, you can't just shove it down and pretend like it didn't happen. And you can't seek freedom in anything other than Jesus, because both of those things are going to lead you down a very dark road. And if you, if you cling to God, and if you really rely on him, though it will be excruciatingly painful, and though your heart, um, like I said before, it's just going to keep breaking over and over and over. Um, though those things are true, and though those things are scary, that's where your deliverance and your healing begin, and that's where that's where it all starts, and that's where it can finish, is with Jesus being glorified. So that would be my advice, is just to cling to the Lord and to um, really just acknowledge what happened and to express it and share your story. That's so powerful. Yeah, I think a lot of freedom comes when you share your story. And so if you can get to that point, you should definitely, I think that also really helps. So that's what I would encourage um, anyone to do is just share it as well. And Jen, what kind of advice would you give to parents or for anyone who might be going through the situation or who have gone through the situation? The biggest thing is to know there is hope. You know, I remember thinking, God, you've brought us to a place where there's not any hope. This is just, I mean, I remember sitting and rocking her back and forth mm-hmm. for hours when she would just scream and just, I mean, it was just the trauma stuff was just awful and we didn't sleep. And, but, but there is hope. God can work even in this. He has not. He has not left you alone. And the verse in Job 5.18 that reminds me of what Bailey said, he has broken us so that he can heal us. He he has a purpose in it, and, and he is going to bring joy, and he's going to bring hope. So cling to Jesus. And then just seek him for every, every family is going to handle something like this differently. Seek him for his direction, and he will guide. He has guided every step along the way as we look back. And um, so that would that would be the biggest things. And so how has God restoried you in the past year, Jen? Well, my word for the year this year was hope. Um, we started January, prosecution started back in October, um, and it didn't finish until April. And so my word for the year was hope. And God has just showed me over and over again that he does give hope in everything that he, he has just years ago, I would never have imagined that we would be sharing this with anybody, much less in a public situation. And yet he's given so many opportunities this year, especially just to share 
very openly and honestly about, you know, the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and yet his hope and his, um, his redemption and his faithfulness. And Bailey, how about you? How have you been restoried in the past year? God's given you a new, new story. I kind of, I think I've learned, I don't think I ever really learned how to surrender to God or to really have faith in God. And I think he kind of, when, when all this happened, he kind of, kind of rewrote our story. He, he restoried us. And in that he completely changed my heart and he made it a heart of surrender and faith. And he, um, just really, I feel like he suddenly gave me the ability to share my story. That's kind of something that never really happened for me. I never, before it happened, I kind of wanted to share my story a little bit, but then when it actually, when this year actually started, he completely changed my heart and made it my purpose. And he just, he made it just kind of directed me in that path and he made it my calling. And um, he just kind of drew me to himself and he kind of showed me that, you know, there's freedom in this and there's deliverance in this. And I never really knew that. So I think that's kind of how he, he kind of rewrote me a little bit. And I think that's, he rewrote my heart and my story to make it glorify him more because I didn't, I think that he was glorified all along, but this last year was like the point of he was glorified on purpose. It wasn't like, it was like a true, that was what we were trying to do. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. just something that kind of came natural with the story that he wrote. It was something that we, he kind of made my heart to glorify him. And so I guess that's kind of how he re kind of restored me as he made that my, my heart cry, I guess. And I think it's true. Our ministry is often in the place where we've been broken the most. And I've definitely experienced that in my own life as well. And that's how we kind of met, you know, through the interwebs, (laughs) through my own story. So there is, Bailey, there's a lot of power in telling your story. And especially being so young and able to help other people your own age who are experiencing this on an epic level. Like they're, the numbers are staggering and those are the numbers that are reported. So it's actually probably much more than that. And so the more we can set other people free and not have this stuck in the darkness anymore and have it out in the light is going to bring more healing to others and create both of you as ambassadors of healing for those who have been hurt and gone through the tragedy of this. So I just commend you for that. Thank you so much for being on the Restory Show, and I just am excited to see the fruit that God's going to bring from this, and I applaud both of your bravery. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you you. for having us. It's an honor. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, I pray for those who are listening to this podcast today who have been triggered by this, and I pray that you would be gentle and a kind healer. And I pray for everyone in the audience who has suffered through childhood sexual abuse or any sort of abuse or sexual abuse in any age, because it's so devastating and so difficult. And Lord, for those afraid to tell their story, I pray that you would send some people into their lives who are trustworthy and good people who are willing to listen to stories and and listen to our stories and say those three beautiful words, I believe you. So Lord, just be with my audience today and with those who suffer. And I pray for Jen and Bailey that 
uh, there would be continued healing in their family and in their lives. And thank you for the hope that we have in you. Even though we might question your goodness or we might not understand why you don't intervene when things go wrong, um, help us to see that you are sovereign and that's not a bad thing and that you are good even though we can't see it sometimes. And thank you that you're big enough to shoulder all of our questions when we have them. Be near, be close, be helpful. Just help us to be full of you and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com, restory 2-11. And may you live a brand new story this week.